0: Chapter Four of Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter Four, Part Two. Goebbels' plan is carried out. Dr. Oberflaren shows in his memorandum that Goebbels thought it necessary to heighten the effect of the material alleged to have been discovered in Karl Leibnacht House by an incident of some kind. He thought that he would achieve the greatest success, we continue to give Dr. Oberflaren's account, by a series of acts of arson which were to culminate in a fire in the German Reichstag on February 27th it was agreed that the most important nazi leaders hitler goering and goebbels were not to make any engagements to speak at election meetings on that date but were to be in berlin we give below an announcement published in the volkischer bielbachter of the election speeches which would have been made by hitler it is especially noticeable that hitler kept free from the dates from the twenty-fifth to the twenty-seventh of february February 23rd, Frankfurt, main February 24th, Munich. February 28th, Leipzig. March 1st, Breslau. March 2nd, Berlin. March 3rd, Hamburg. March 4th, Königsberg. The volkischer Beobachter adds, it is possible that election meetings will also be arranged for February 25th, and 26th. The time of the meetings will be between 8 and 9 p.m. So, in order to be prepared for emergencies, Hitler had kept free the dates from February 25th to 27th. But, in any event, it was announced beforehand that Hitler could in no circumstances speak in any election meetings on February 27th. Contradictions in the Official Reports The first official report stated that a police officer noticed people carrying lighted torches in the dark building, and that he succeeded in capturing the criminal. It further stated that the criminal was found in one of the cellars, and allowed himself to be arrested without showing any resistance. On March 4th, however, a further statement describes the arrest of Van der Lube as follows. Police on the Brandenburg Tor side of the Reichstag noticed the fire in the building. One of the police saw torches quite clearly, and immediately fired. At first there was some doubt about this incident. Since then, however, the marks of the bullets have actually been found. The police then rushed into the Reichstag. They found in the lobby, not as was originally reported in the cellars, the man Marinus van der Lube who was there overpowered by one of the officers, after considerable resistance. This is the first contradiction in the official reports. Charges against Torgler and Conan. On the evening of March 1st, the official President issued the following statement. The official investigation of the grave act of incendiarism in the building of the German Reichstag has up to the present shown that at least seven persons must have been required for the bringing in of the inflammable material alone while the placing of it and simultaneous setting fire to the various points in the huge building must have required at least ten persons no doubt whatever that the incendiaries were so completely familiar with all the details of the vast building that only unrestricted access over a number of years could have given this definite knowledge of all the rooms grave suspicion therefore rests on the communist party deputies who particularly in recent weeks have been noticeably often meeting in the reichstag building under the most diverse pretexts this familiarity with the reichstag building and with the duty arrangements of the officials also explains the fact that for the time being Only the Dutch Communist who was caught in the act was arrested, as after he had carried out his criminal deed, he was unable to escape, owing to his ignorance of the building. The arrested man, who is also known in Holland as extremely radical, has been continuously present at the meetings of the Communist Action Committee, and was drawn in to carry out the act of incendiarism the investigation has further established that three witnesses some hours before the outbreak of the fire saw the arrested dutch criminal in the company of the communist deputies torgler and Konen, in the corridors of the reichstag at about eight o'clock in the evening a mistake on the part of these witnesses is out of the question in view of the criminal's appearance as moreover the deputy's entrance to the reichstag is closed at eight p m and the communist deputies torgler and conan at about eight thirty p m asked for their coats and hats to be brought to their rooms and only left the building through another door at about ten p m extremely grave suspicion rests on these two communists for it was between these times that the fire was arranged the rumor that deputy torgler voluntarily presented himself at police headquarters is not correct it is true that through his legal adviser he asked for a safe conduct when he realized that escape was impossible but this was refused and the deputy was arrested on march fourth the chief of the political police issued a report stating that in so far as the investigation has up to now produced results giving rise to well-founded suspicion of the complicity of third persons In the interests of the pending prosecution and of the security of the state, no statement can be made. So that on March 1st, grave suspicion rests on Torgler and Conan, and the security of the state does not prevent the announcement of the grounds for this suspicion. On March 4th, any information bearing on the grounds for suspicion would endanger the security of the state. This is the second contradiction. In the presidienst message of March 1st, which has already been quoted, it is stated that Torgler and Conan left the Reichstag building at about 10 p.m. According to the messages issued by the Wolf Bureau and the Telegraphen Union, and the foreign correspondents, the fire was discovered in the time between 9 and 9.15 p.m. At 9.15, the fire brigade started operations. At about the same time, the police surrounded the Reichstag and prevented any access to it. A few minutes after the fire had been discovered, Goring arrived on the spot, and shortly after his arrival, Hitler, Goebbels, Papen, and Prince August Wilhelm also arrived. But in spite of this, the deputies Torgler and Conan quietly left the burning Reichstag, which was cordoned off by the police and surrounded by a crowd of thousands of people and it did not occur to anyone to ask them a single question. This is the third contradiction, a complete alibi. Two waiters in the Aschinger restaurant near the Friedrichstrasse station have deposed on oath that the Reichstag deputy Torgler took his evening meal in the restaurant not later than 8.30. Torgler must therefore have left the Reichstag at the very latest, soon after 8 o'clock, and not at 10 o'clock, as the official statement asserts. A sworn deposition made by the Reichstag Deputy Wilhelm Conan is printed below. This shows that Torgler and Conan left the Reichstag that evening between 8.10 and 8.15 p.m. We give the deposition in full, because Conan arrived at the Reichstag at about 6.30 p.m. on February 27th, and was with Torgler until 1.30 a.m. the following morning. These two deputies have a complete alibi, which shows that there is not a word of truth in the charge against them made by the Hitler government. Conan's deposition is as follows. In the afternoon of February 27th, I went, as I had done almost every day of the previous week, to the police headquarters in the Alexanderplatz to see Detective Commissioner Dr. Broschwitz, In order to discuss with him further the question of releasing election material, from Carl Leibnacht House. Shortly after 3 p.m., we went round to Carl Leibnacht House with some detective officers, and there a few small lots of posters, streamers, and other election material were released by the police and packed and sent out. When this had been completed, at 5.40 p.m., I took leave of the detective commissioner, arranged to meet some of our helpers next day in a neighboring restaurant to organize the dispatch of further material and then telephone to our fraction secretariat in the reichstag as i had to discuss some points in connection with the distribution of speakers for the last week of the election campaign following on this telephone conversation i went direct to the reichstag for the purpose stated reaching there shortly before half past six there i met my colleague ernst torgler who as chairman of the official election committee of our party was concerned in the allocation of party members of the Reichstag to the meetings which had been arranged. At about 7.15 p.m. I had settled the business I had come for, and Torgler asked me to visit a few minutes for him, as he was only waiting for a telephone call which would soon be through. Then we could go and have a meal together. I then told him of the constant difficulties which were being made over the release of election material from Karl Leibnacht House. We agreed that Torgler, as head of the party's Central Election Committee, should telephone to Dr. Dials, head of the political section of the Berlin Police, to lodge a further protest against the withholding of election posters and other election material. This conversation with Dr. Dials took place at about 7.30 p.m. Following on this, I got myself put through to the assessor, who, as Dr. Dial's right-hand man, was responsible for handing over the material and put my point of view as to the difficulties which were being created, also discussing what had to be done the following day in connection with which I had already made a further appointment to meet the detective commissioner at Carl Leipnick House. After this telephone conversation with police headquarters, torgler had another telephone conversation at about quarter to eight with the lawyer dr rosenfeld then as the call from a party friend which he had been expecting since seven o'clock still did not come through he telephoned down to the porter at door five and asked him in the event of a call coming through to him after eight when the exchange in the reichstag is closed to call him down on the internal telephone from the fraction secretariat room Meanwhile, the cloakroom attendant at the south door telephoned to ask whether Herr Torgler was now leaving, or whether his hat and coat should be brought up as usual to the secretariat room. Torgler asked for his things to be brought up to him, and this was done at about eight o'clock. At eight o'clock the cloakroom and door two are closed. Then at last, at a couple minutes past eight, the call which we had been waiting for came through and had to be dealt with by the porter at door five the only door still open torgler was called down on the house telephone and naturally having to come down from the third floor and not wanting to keep his friend waiting unnecessarily he lost no time over getting down a few minutes later torgler returned from the porter's office direct to the fraction room and soon after that we put on our things and together with the woman secretary of the fraction, left the Reichstag through door five, at perhaps quarter past eight. So far from leaving the building in flight, as is alleged, it so happened that we left the Reichstag building that evening at a much slower pace than we had ever done before. The secretary of the fraction, who went out with us that night, was suffering from an inflamed vein, which made it difficult for her to walk, so that we went at a snail's pace. It was at this very slow pace that we walked to the Friedrichstrasse station, where the secretary left us, and went down to the underground. We went straight, that is, therefore, at about half-past eight, to the Aschinger restaurant at the Friedrichstrasse station, where we had supper. There we met three other party friends, and stayed for some time talking to them. Two of these friends left us after they had had a meal, somewhere between half-past nine and quarter to ten. At ten o'clock there was a change of shifts for the waiters, so we paid our bills shortly before ten. It was already past ten o'clock when the new waiter came to our table and, addressing me by name, said, "Er Conan, have you heard the Reichstag is on fire?" I was astounded and replied, "Man, are you mad? It's quite impossible." He answered excitedly, "No, it's true. All the taxi drivers say so. You can ask them at the counter by the door." thousands of people are already collected there thus it was that we came to learn of one of the most monstrous crimes in the history of the world signed william conan this affidavit exposes the fourth contradiction in the official reports the message issued by the preussic president of march 1st 1933 states that torgler did not present himself at police headquarters but that he was arrested the deposition printed below which was given on oath by the barrister dr kurt rosenfeld who accompanied torgler to police headquarters shows that this statement is untrue on the morning after the burning of the reichstag Herr ernst torgler rang me up on the telephone and asked me whether i was willing to go with him to police headquarters where he intended to go in order to rebut the charges which had been made against him in connection with the reichstag fire i expressed my willingness to go with him and at once telephoned to police headquarters to inform them that i should be coming at once with torgler if i remember rightly i spoke to an official of the name of heller then drove to police headquarters in a car with torgler and asked to see herr heller to whom i said this is herr torgler and i must ask you to question him in connection with the charge that he is supposed to have had some sort of connection with the reichstag fire The news that Torgler had presented himself voluntarily to be interrogated brought several police officers into the room where I was, asking, is it true that Torgler has come of his own accord? Herr Heller then went with Herr Torgler into another room, while I waited in the anteroom. After a long time Herr Torgler came out of the room again, and we waited together until Herr Heller called us both into another room and in my presence declared that Torgler was under arrest. Signed Kurt Rosenfeld. This is the fifth contradiction. The Prosech President of March first reported that Deputy Torgler had been several hours in company with the incendiary in the Reichstag building, and that he had also been in the company of other persons implicated in the fire. If Torgler had really been an accomplice, the most elementary common sense would have prevented him from showing himself in public with van der Lube. This is the sixth contradiction. The statement issued by the official Prussian Presidienst on March 1st asserts that the communist deputies of the Reichstag were familiar with the Reichstag building and with the duty arrangements of the staff. In fact, the communist deputies of the Reichstag were not familiar with the duty arrangements of the staff, as they had no seat on the presidium of the Reichstag, and were, moreover, excluded from all committees which dealt with the administration of the Reichstag building. And, moreover, as we shall show, on the day of the burning of the Reichstag, the duty arrangements of the staff had been altered by the National Socialist House Inspector, so that although Goering, president of the Reichstag, was in a position to know about this alteration, the Communist deputies could not have known of it. This is the seventh contradiction. Van der Lube, not a Communist. The official president's messages of February 28th state that Van der Lubbe stated that he was a member of the Dutch Communist Party. The version broadcast on the wireless that Van der Lubbe had had on him a membership card of the Dutch Communist Party was dropped even on the night of the Reichstag fire, because it was too incredible. The first journalist who interviewed van der Lubbe after the burning of the Reichstag was the reporter of the Amsterdam paper De Telegraaf, whose message was published in his paper on March 2nd. Marinus tells me that for some years now he's not been a member of any party. He is not a convinced communist. In fact, Marinus van der Lubbe resigned from the Young Communist League of Leiden in April 1931, in order to forestall his expulsion. This is the eighth contradiction. The Wolf Telegraph Bureau reported from Amsterdam on March 2nd. The attempt made by the Dutch Communists to repudiate van der Lubbe cannot succeed, for police headquarters in The Hague have information that Lubbe was not expelled but merely removed from the front line and given the cold shoulder because his radical ideas did not suit the cautious party leadership in holland the german authorities wanted to create the impression that a communist who had been given the cold shoulder by the dutch communist party in reality van der lubbe had not been a member of the young communist league since april 1931 was used by the Germanist communist party for terrorist acts Was it not the National Socialists who had been for years asserting that the closest links existed between the Communist parties, which are all only sections of the Communist International? How then can it be imagined that a Dutch Communist, who had been given the cold shoulder, would be received by the German Communist leaders, with open arms and entrusted with the most confidential work? That is the ninth contradiction. The same report by the Wolff Telegraph Bureau goes on to say, As recently as December 22, 1932, Lube took part in a meeting of taxi drivers in The Hague, who were on strike and made a long communist speech. This information given by the Dutch police is indeed extremely important in its bearing on the Reichstag fire. In the meeting of taxi drivers, van der Lube did not make a communist speech, but as he had frequently done before attacked the dutch communist party we have definite evidence of this in a signed statement made by a tarot a member of the staff of the tribune and countersigned by a number of other persons present at the meeting this is the tenth contradiction this statement made by the chief of the political police on march fourth asserted that van der lubbe knew german statements by everyone who knew him and also the statements made by the journalist who visited him in prison and spoke to him are all unanimous that van der lubbe only speaks broken german the lokalenzeiger of february twenty eighth states that van der lubbe was interrogated with the aid of an interpreter this is the eleventh contradiction the same statement made by the chief of the political police says van lubbe is also known to the police as a communist agitator on April twenty-eighth, nineteen thirty-one, he was arrested by the police in Gronau in Westphalia for selling postcards of communist tendency. In actual fact, Van der Lubbe did sell postcards at Gronau in Westphalia. They were postcards of himself and his friend Hovelda. The postcards bear the following text in four languages: Workers, sports, and study tour of Marinus van der Lubbe and H. Hovelda through Europe and the Soviet Union." Start of the tour from Leiden, April 14, 1931. There is not another word on the card, not the slightest indication of communist agitation. Van der Lubbe was arrested merely because he had no license to sell the cards on the street. This is the 12th contradiction. The chief of the Berlin political police further stated, he, Van der Lubbe, in his examination, only admitted the true facts of the case insofar as he was confronted with witnesses. A few lines lower down the same report says. He, van der Lube, confessed every detail. No names of eyewitnesses of the act of incendiarism have been given by the Hitler government. Even the official Prusich Presidente did not assert that van der Lube had been seen setting fire to the Reichstag by the police or anyone else and if this is so then according to the statement issued by the chief of the political police he did not make any confession on the other hand the same police official states that van der lubbe confessed every detail this is the thirteenth contradiction the so-called national press which is inspired by the police announced the day after the reichstag fire that van der lubbe had been in moscow and had been trained there in reality, van der Lubbe had never been in the Soviet Union. He went direct from Leiden to Germany. This is the 14th contradiction. Van der Lubbe left Leiden between the 13th and the 15th of February. According to a statement published in the Vosich Zeitung of March second, 1933, he spent the night of the 17th through the 18th of February in a hostel at Glindau near Weerden. On February 18th, he went on foot to Berlin. In an interview which the criminal commissioner Heise gave to the Dutch press on March 13th, he stated that Van der Lubbe had made the acquaintance of communists at labor exchanges and through them was brought into the Communist Action Committee. Van der Lubbe did not arrive in Berlin until the evening of Saturday, February 18th at the earliest. On the Sunday following, February 19th, the labor exchanges were closed. If the statement made by the police is correct, therefore, he could not have made the acquaintance of communists at a labor exchange before Monday, February 20th, at the earliest. The reader must imagine for himself. A Dutchman, speaking broken German, without any transfer papers from the Dutch Communist Party, on February 20th makes the acquaintance of communists at a labor exchange in Berlin. Is brought by them into contact with the leaders of the party and commissioned by them to set fire to the Reichstag on February 27th. This is the 15th contradiction. A statement issued by the official Prusik Presidents Day of March 1st says The arrested man has been continuously present at the meetings of the Communist Action Committee and was drawn in to carry out this act of incendiarism. On March 3rd, the Central Committee of the German Communist Party made the following statement in reply. Of course, no meetings of any Communist Action Committee have been held in the Reichstag or elsewhere at which the man arrested in the Reichstag, Vanderloop, was present. In the first place, no Communist Action Committee exists, but only the Central Committee of the German Communist Party and its political bureau in the second place no individuals take part in meetings of the communist party or of any of its units who are not members of either the german communist party or of some other section of the Comintern. this reply to goering's assertions reveals the sixteenth contradiction catacombs in Karl leibnacht house a statement issued by the official prusich Presidente on february twenty eighth nineteen thirty three says among the hundred centenars of material which the police discovered in their search of the karl Liebknecht house were instructions for the carrying out of the communist terror on the bolshevik model according to these instructions government buildings museums mansions and essential plant were to be burnt down the further direction is given that in riots and conflicts women and children are to be put in front of the terrorist troops if possible, the wives and children of police officials. The discovery of this material has checked the systematic carrying through of the Bolshevik Revolution. The Reichstag deputy Wilhelm Conan, who was constantly working in the Karl Liebknecht House during the last few days of February, as a leading official of the Communist Party, describes the searches in Karl Liebknecht House as follows. In the forenoon of February 17th, A gigantic crowd of detective officers, accompanied by several companies of ordinary police, rushed into the building and occupied every room. Every corner, every cupboard was thoroughly searched. They had taken the precaution of bringing skilled workers with them to take to pieces the desks, uh, for which there were no keys. All the cellars, too, were carefully searched. In the cellars, as usual, there was only the material which had been left over from various campaigns. Or had been returned to the office in the course of years. In the basement rooms there were also supplies of paper and bookshop stocks. On that occasion the police inspector still considered it necessary, at my request, to show me any papers confiscated as suspicious, and to state that they were confiscated or to give me a receipt for them. Among the papers seized in the course of this exhaustive search, which lasted many hours, there was neither the book The Art of Armed Insurrection, nor any other so-called seditious publication. Nor was there any mention of these in the police reports issued immediately after the raid. It was only a week later, on February 24th, although I had been almost every day with police inspectors in the Carl Leipnick house, in connection with getting out election material that police headquarters suddenly asserted that in the course of a new search in the so-called catacombs seditious material had been found including the book the art of armed insurrection this alleged new search if it took place at all must have been carried out without any civilian witnesses and without any representative of the people concerned being present This is all the more significant, as I had been practically every day in the Carl Leibnacht house negotiating with police inspectors to recover election material, paper, books, and so forth, and getting them dispatched. Although I was therefore available every day, I was neither summoned nor even informed when the alleged discovery was made. It would have been particularly easy to inform me of it, as I was there on the 24th, on Saturday the 25th, and again on Monday the 27th, and was talking to detectives and inspectors in connection with the delivery of the material recovered from the police. On February 25th, after the report of the passages, vaults and catacombs had already appeared in heavy type in the great press. When I had finished with the inspector in charge in connection with the release of election material, I asked him where the catacombs were. A number of comrades, who were helping with the dispatch of the election material, were also present. He then, to our surprise, pointed to a trap-door, about a yard wide in a room on the ground floor, which was used as a porter's office. The trap-door was raised, so that we could see a ladder leading down into the basement. A comrade, who had worked in the building for many years, and knew it well, said, Man, that's the trap-door to our old beer-cellar we all laughed and asked the same question. Is that supposed to be the catacombs? The inspector answered only with a rather embarrassed nod. That part of the building used to be an inn. The explanation of the passages through which people were supposed to be able to get away to other streets is equally simple. Karl House is a corner house, which, as an office building for commercial undertakings, had storerooms and working rooms in the basement, and these were described by Goering's police as vaults, passages, and catacombs. These two statements expose the 17th contradiction in the official reports. Signal for civil war, the Preussich Presidente announced on February 28th. The burning of the Reichstag was to be the signal for a bloody insurrection and civil war. Looting, on a large scale, had been organized for Tuesday in Berlin. It has been ascertained that today was to have seen throughout Germany terrorist acts against individual persons, against private property, and against the life and limb of the peaceful population, and also the beginning of general civil war. The Voice of Zeitung of march fourth nineteen thirty three reported the work of the police has up to the present prevented the material being put into the hands of every communist. It has only got into the hands of a few functionaries in secret communications. The last search of Karl Leibneck House took place on february twenty fourth It was on this occasion that the terrorist material is alleged to have been found. The political police state that the instructions for the terror did not reach all Communists, but were only known to a few functionaries, so that the German Communist Party would have had to circulate through every area in Germany in the three days between February 24th and 27th, the materials stored in the Karl Leibnacht House. Secondly, within the same three days, it would have had to get together the special groups who were to carry out the terrorist acts. Thirdly, it would have had to instruct and train these groups to carry out the terrorist acts. And fourthly, it would have had to prepare and organize the rest of the members for the civil war, which was to be unleashed through these terrorist acts. In February 1933, the German Communist Party had over 300,000 members, distributed all over Germany. The party would have had to work miracles to organize within three days, for the carrying through of all the plans attributed to it by the official statements. This is the 18th contradiction. The incriminating material has not been produced. During the evening of March 1st, the official Prusik Presidiente issued the following announcement. The Prussian Ministry of the Interior states, in connection with the decree issued by the Reich government against the Communist danger, dated February twenty-eighth, that particularly heavy penalties have been imposed for a number of crimes, because of the grave and acute danger which has been fully established, and of the inhuman and carefully prepared system of unrestricted communist terror. Germany was to have been thrown into the chaos of Bolshevism, the assassination of individual leaders of the nation and of the state, outrages against essential services and public persons, the seizure as hostages of the wives and children of prominent men were to produce fear and dismay among the nation and cripple any attempt at resistance on the part of the citizens. The Reich Commissioner for the Prussian Ministry of the Interior, Minister Goering, will in the very near future make public the documents which prove the necessity of all the measures which have been taken. The enormous amount of material is being sifted once again, and a final examination of it is being made with a view to ensuring that the security of the state cannot be further endangered by its publication. Up to the present time, the documents have not been published. This is the 19th contradiction. Goering denies his own statement. On March 2, 1933, the Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung and the Taglish Rundschau published the following messages from the official Prositpräsidentschaft. In certain foreign newspapers, the slanderous assertion, emanating from German Marxist circles, is being circulated that the fire in the Reichstag building was organized not by Communists, but from the National Socialist side. The originators of this slander have already been arrested, and will be brought to due punishment as soon as the investigation has been completed. Among other things, it is asserted that the Dutch Communist who was arrested is in reality, an agent provocateur and was induced to carry out the act of incendiarism by leading national socialists this is supposed to be proved by the fact that the criminal had used his coat and shirt as inflammable material but had not even removed the communist documents and his passports which were found on him significance is further attached to the fact that the police authorities have not published the photograph of the incendiary and the documents found on him and have also offered no reward for persons who could give further information about the criminal and establish his connections with communist and social democratic politicians this unusual procedure in an important criminal case is supposed to be evidence that the authorities are hindering the elucidation of the crime in order to be able to use a national socialist act of provocation as a pretext for anti-marxist measures in reply to this it is stated from official sources that these slanderous arguments are of course devoid of any basis the photographs of the criminal and of the documents found on him have not yet been published purely in the interest of the investigation publication will take place in the course of to-day Moreover, the Berlin correspondents of foreign newspapers can obtain the photographic reproductions in the course of today from the IA department at police headquarters. The photograph of the criminal will also be handed today to the Dutch police in order to confirm the criminal's identity. This will remove the possibility of further slanders. A specific warning is issued against the dissemination of such slanders. But before the other German papers could publish this announcement, its publication was forbidden. Goering instructed the Wolf Bureau to circulate a statement that the Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung and the Runschau had been taken in by a communist forgery. Apparently, Goering wanted to make people believe that anyone can simply ring up a newspaper and say, "Preußisch Präsident speaking," and then secure publicity for any kind of story. In reality, telephone messages from press agencies to newspapers are very strictly controlled. Before accepting any message, the editorial stenographer first asked for confirmation from the control. Goering's Dementi cannot cause any doubt as to the fact that at first he intended, through the Prusik presidente, to bluff the world, and then later, too late, realized the danger of the message and tried to hold it back. This is the twentieth contradiction. End of chapter four, part two.